Yeah, this is turning to our, our most provocative episode yet, uh, Luke, the, because of our attempt at not making it provocative, I think. Yeah, I'm sorry, guys. I I really don't intend to be this way, but it's just born this way. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, 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 no. So much fun. I, I, I'll say the most provocative thing so that you don't have to. Oh, thank you so much. No, That's really no, considerate of you. Yeah. Fe- female voting rights is the worst idea humanity had since since voting rights. Is that even provocative at this point? Or I don't know if that's even controversial at this point. We found our opening clip. Welcome back to the Freedom Footprint Show, a Bitcoin philosophy show with Knut Svanholm and me, Luke Vesudovic. As always with this podcast, we aim to investigate, challenge preconceived notions, and inspire new perspectives. And we definitely achieved that today. Thanks to our guest, Andrew Howard, Chief Business Development Officer at the Bitcoin Reserve, we dissect atheism, agnosticism, the human need for a belief system. We draw connections between religion and statism and even dig into the emerging Bitcoin mythology. Today's episode might just be our most provocative episode yet, but we'll let you judge for yourself. But before we jump in, we want to let you know how you can support the show. The first way is to send us some sats using a value for value podcasting app such as Fountain. If you're listening to the show as a podcast, check it out on Fountain. You can earn sats from listening and you can support us and all your other favorite shows. You can also support us on Geyser Fund or send sats directly to our lightning address, freedom at getalbi.com. And if you want to exchange your dirty fiat, you can support us on Patreon. All our links are in the description. We've also moved to a new YouTube channel. So if you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to like, subscribe to the channel and turn on notifications so you never miss an episode. And finally, we want to thank today's sponsors, Wasabi Wallet, Orange Pill App, and BitcoinBook.shop. We'll be talking a bit more about them later. And now, without further ado, here is Andrew Howard on The Freedom Footprint Show. Andrew, welcome to The Freedom Footprint Show. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, Luke, Newt, thanks for having me, uh, gents. Yeah, Newt, you've been on our podcast uh, a couple times on the Bitcoin Reserve podcast and... Uh, been a longtime fan of, of yours. I've read your book, Bitcoin Everything Divided by 21 Million. Really, really great to be here on your podcast now. Uh, yeah, great to see you, Andrew. I think last time we met, where was that? Uh, I know we've had a, a, an interesting conversation late at night in Riga last year. We did. Uh, I think that was the last time. Cool. Yeah, that was when um, I told you that denying Christianity, if you haven't read the Bible, is like denying Bitcoin if you haven't read the white paper. Which uh, I think I was totally wrong. Now looking at that in hindsight, <laughs> oh, that's, so that's interesting. Yeah. So, so one of the reasons that we wanted you on was that you recently came out as a um, as an atheist, basically, or as a, 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 that, that's the wrong way of putting it. You you denounced your Christianity officially on Twitter, and uh, I instantly thought that that was an interesting topic because I don't believe in any deities or or any governments for that matter i think all appeals to authority should be you should rid yourself of as many as possible but in the bitcoin space i mostly see people do the other way for some odd reason people seem to find god when they find bitcoin Uh, so i thought it would be interesting to have a conversation about what it is to truly accept don't trust verify and uh, take it for what it is so welcome to the pod. Okay. Can we start by introducing you a bit? What is it that you do at the Bitcoin Reserve and what is the Bitcoin Reserve? 
Give us the TLDR. Who are the you? Arm. That's that's. Uh, yeah. Who am I? Well, yeah. I'm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I just a quick rundown on on who I am. I, I first got Orangefield in the Marine Corps, actually, and which completely changed my worldview on how wars are funded and central banking and the relationship with bad money and war, and um, just really fell down the Bitcoin rabbit hole at that point. This is in early 2017. And uh, for the last over three years, I've been uh, chief business development officer at Bitcoin Reserve, and we are a Bitcoin-only brokerage, also non-custodial, so we will not hold your coins. And we serve clients worldwide. We help people from everyday investors to high net worth individuals and family offices and maybe even companies that want to put Bitcoin on their balance sheets. So I absolutely love it. I love waking up every day and working on something where I I truly believe I'm making a tangible, positive uh, impact on the world. And the great thing about it is, you know, I have conversations like this all the time because Bitcoiners are are generally speaking, really awesome people. We're we're open to new ideas. We want to pursue truth. We want to make a better world right now. Yeah, that's basically who I am. Yeah. What well, what's your background with Christianity? Where did you grow up? Did you grow up in a in a red state where uh, there was a lot of you know Christian influence? Or well, what's your background? So I grew up actually in uh, one of the worst states uh, in America, in my opinion, which is California. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I grew up in the armpit of America, a uh, very blue state. As far as my background on Christianity, I mean, I, I come from a conservative family within this blue state. My family, we, you know, they, they love American values. And most of the men in my family have been in the military as well. In regards to Christianity, I have been inundated with Christianity my entire life. Uh, I went to... Christian school, literally my whole life, except one year of homeschooling in eighth grade. So Christian preschool, Christian elementary school, Christian middle school, Christian high school. So uh, yeah, that's that's my background. And, you know, I mean, growing up as a kid, a lot of things didn't make sense to me. Like hearing about Noah's Ark, it's like, okay, well, how did Noah fit every single animal on there? And, you know, telling me 40 days, this guy was just in a boat. And a lot of, a lot of things just kind of didn't make sense. But when you're a kid, you're very susceptible to a lot of things. Your your mind is like a sponge when you're a kid, especially when everybody around you is believing this thing so fervently. can really influence the way you perceive the world, how you grow up, and what you believe is right and wrong. Yeah, that's uh, that's in a nutshell my my background with Christianity. My bike background is uh, similar but different because I grew up on the Swedish countryside. We we went to church uh, every every time we graduated from uh, uh, a year of school or or like for Christmas and for you know special occasions like baptisms and stuff like that. But it, generally speaking, around the communities, no one really believed that stuff or took it literally. And we thought the the, the Christians who actually went to church uh, every week and stuff were were, were pretty weird. Uh, so we were indoctrinated with the other, with, with the later type of religion, namely statism and uh, believing in whatever the government said. So, so that's, that took longer for me to realize, like uh, the, the, the Christian stuff was pretty simple to realize how, how full of inconsistencies it was. So, so it, uh, it didn't take me very long to figure out that I, I didn't believe in that stuff. I didn't believe in a creator. I didn't believe in any of the miracles that Jesus supposedly did because I, I just couldn't believe it because I, I, I there was no proof 
what, what I did believe in for a long time was government being a necessary thing for a society to function. That was that was a lie that was way way harder for me to to uh, to see through. And uh, yeah, I, I view I view yeah. statism as another religion. So when I say I'm a I'm an atheist, I'm I'm just trying to say that I don't believe in any appeal to authority because I think that's the problem. Like, but you should try to reclaim the driver's seat of your life and find your own path. That's the most important thing. Uh, I, I agree with you on on definitely the religious side. On the statism side, I largely agree with you. I think people today, for sure, look at the government as being their daddy and want the government to solve all their problems. And it, it is in many ways religion. And I agree on that. I uh, Perhaps this is a topic for another time, because I know the topic of, of this podcast is more focused on religion. But um, I used to be very hardcore anarcho-capitalist. And I've since kind of changed my, not kind of, I've since changed my views on that as well. I still believe taxation is theft, Mm -hmm. uh, but I I do also believe that a monopoly on the use of force, which what many anarcho-capitalists would define government as, is inevitable. I think that's an inevitable part of life. Now, the way that that monopoly of the use of force is funded and survives and maintains itself, that's a different story, because taxation is not necessarily imperative to have that monopoly on the use of force. But um, I mean, I, I still I still believe in freedom and, uh, you know, maximum liberty and and uh, all that good stuff. And but uh, yeah, that's kind of been a change in my viewpoint as well. So I've had I guess I've had the anarchist to you should say monarchist change and then the Christian to I'll call myself agnostic change. I don't rule out the possibility of some kind of creator. But I can definitely say that at least the Abrahamic God is not, I, in no way can I imagine that this is actually the creator of the universe and, and things are what they're listed in, in Bible and Christianity. But, uh, I don't know. Who knows? The reality is, and I mentioned this in my, in my tweet that you saw is nobody has any idea. I mean, that, that's the well, reality. You really cannot prove a creator in this realm that we're currently in, this existence that we're all experiencing. You can't prove a creator. So I think to say that there is none is, is very fair and logical. Um, but that doesn't mean that life doesn't have meaning. And that doesn't mean that life isn't valuable. That's not entirely different. The, no, the, the, quite the opposite. If your lifetime is everything you have. If if it's scarce, that's what brings it value. That's why you find it valuable. If you could live forever and you were indestructible, you wouldn't need to do anything at any time, at any point in time, because like you, you'd have no incentives. You could always postpone everything forever indefinitely. <laughs> I totally agree, and I, I think that's one of the problematic aspects of Christianity is the fact that you know. I agree with you. This is the only life we know we have, right? No. I hope there's something after this. That'd be nice, right? I don't no. want to just cease existence. But th- this is the only life we know we have. Yeah. And this idea of letting go of your care for worldly things, I think is is a bad thing. I, I think material possessions are important. I'm not saying I want to, I'm not the kind of person to just want to drive a Lambo and have a Versace this and, you know, Rolex <laughs> watch and all this crap. But uh Material possessions are important. Having resources are important. And just saying that I'm, I'm going to sell all my money and give it all to the poor and I'm going to, you know, just focus on the, the kingdom above and, and not earth and not worldly things. I think that's very bad. And I think it's, it's a recipe to create a, a very docile society, which will yeah. not want to fight for the freedom 
of themselves and even their family and which will basically just sacrifice worldly things because they think something else better is after this life. It's the original trust the plan. You're, you're basically yeah, yeah. believing in supernatural slash magical things that a superhero would do. You're believing in that and, and you think that somebody else is going to come down and save you. And I think that's a, that's not a good thing. I think it, it's a way of avoiding personal responsibility in your life and actually fixing the world and suffering and dealing with the hard things. You know, Nietzsche, Nietzsche wrote about this is when he said God is dead. I know you for sure probably know this, Knut, but when he said God is dead, he wasn't saying that he wasn't even voicing a personal opinion of his about God. He was just observing that oh, in yeah. Western culture at the time, the idea of religion was dying. And he said, this is going yeah. to be problematic if we don't reorient ourselves and reevaluate what we believe is moral and have some kind of framework to live our lives. And he said, if we don't do that, then we're going to wake up in a world where everybody is nihilistic and weak and hates life. And, and he described it as a, quote, death cult. And I think that's yeah. what we're living in right now, because religion is not getting more popular and uh, nihilism is so. Yeah, I, 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 that that's sort of the the best argument for religion I, I've ever heard. It's like that we, people seem to to need that in order to have a moral compass at all, which is kind of depressing because, like, uh, to me, it, it's it's pretty weird that you would need someone to tell you not to take people's stuff and not to kill them. Like, it if you really search your soul it's probably not in you to do that anyway i don't believe that people are inherently bad but they i do believe that they they think less of themselves than they should they should probably <laughs> and, I, and i totally yeah. agree so i'm happy you brought that up because yeah. this is something you see a lot with with i would say every christian is is this idea of i'm not worthy you know i'm forgiven i'm not worthy it's a very subduing mentality to have and it's also extremely denigrating to you, to not just yourself, but your ancestors too, who weren't Christian, to believe that we wouldn't have morality if it weren't for the God of Israel, if it weren't for Yahweh, if it weren't for the Old Testament and the New Testament. I, yeah, I totally agree with you. The idea that if we, if we didn't have this, this belief system, we would just be running around and killing each other and raping each other and doing child sacrifices and all that stuff, which by the way, most Christians believe that pagans did child sacrifices and these these horrible things. And I, I can at least say for, for Norse paganism, for Western culture before Christianity, there was no such thing as that. There was honor, there was morality. The word virtue comes from the word virtus, which is actually uh, a word that the Romans used. So so we had morality, you yeah. know? We, we had architecture, we had all these beautiful things of Western civilization without Christianity. And this is an argument you'll see from Christians as well, Christianity built up the West. I think the West succeeded d despite, in spite of Christianity, not because of it. Christianity is a child sacrifice cult. Like Jesus is the child sacrificed. Like that's what it is. It, it's absolutely 100% so, true. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I find so revolting about, like, I'll try not to offend Christians here, but uh, it'll be hard because the thing that bugs me most about it is that the the symbol of the of the faith is a literal torture device, and it's on almost every flag on uh, almost every country of, uh, on earth. And it's sort of like the the equivalent of the flayed man on the cross in, on uh, you know House Bolton in Game of Thrones, the the really evil ones, you know. So worshiping a 
a torture device. It's not a nice thing. It's sort of the, the flag of Mozambique. Have you seen that? Where there's a Kalashnikov on, on the national flag. But, mm. and, and you think when you see it, you think it's pretty revolting for a nation to have a fucking automatic weapon on their flag. It's pretty cool mm. too. But you know, it's, it, it's, it, it's not, it's not a very inviting flag, the flag of Mozambique. But then you, then you, when you think about it, all flags are like that. Every, every flag with a cross is the same thing. It's a torture device. It's a weapon. So, it um, is. yeah. I would like to go through some semantics here first. So de- define some words because you said you're, you're not atheist, you're agnostic. And I just like to define the, the way I think of atheism. It's not a belief in that there is no God. It's just a disbelief in those that have been presented to me. The theistic theories that have been presented to me. It's just a disbelief in those and has nothing to do with what I believe. It's, uh, it has nothing to do with belief to me. And to me, agnosticism is when you're sort of like, it's 50-50. And that's not the case either, right? I, I, I don't think that's the case for you either. I'm, I'm sort of more on the spaghetti monster kind of. I think it's about as likely for there to be a spaghetti monster that created everything than that's equally as likely as that Yahweh created everything. That's where I come from. So what's your thoughts on that? That's fair. Yeah. I mean, you, you should take the spaghetti monster and replace it with, with, uh, Odin. I mean, I've, I've said that, yeah, yeah. uh, Odin is just as real as Yahweh if you want to frame it like that. Yeah. Right. So same, same kind of mentality. That's and, fair. I mean, angry you know, lantern. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, the flash. Yeah. And Superman <laughs> and the green lantern. And, and, uh, you know, like I said earlier, it is basically believing in superheroes that are, that are going to solve your problems. So you don't have to solve your problems yourself in this world. Maybe it is just semantics, but my understanding, you know, theist theology, that would be with a God and atheist is that there would be no God. And then agnostic, agnostic means to know, right? And then the A at the beginning would be like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So, but to me, to me, agnostic sounds a bit like a cop-out. Maybe that's because I'm biased, because it sounds like I don't know, therefore I have no opinion because I don't want to offend anyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So it sounds yeah. a bit, for lack of a better word, woke. Uh, <laughs> I know it's not that, and that most people don't use it that way. But I think the word atheist is, many Christians think it's something that it's not. They think it is a belief system in itself. They think it has something to do with science or mm-hmm. the science or scientism, which it definitely does not, because an atheist can be very scientific or very unscientific. The, the word does not really apply to that. It has nothing to do with that. <clears throat> That's a good point. That is a commonly held Christian belief is that uh, atheists have just replaced the science with, with God. Yeah. The um, Nietzsche, Nietzsche's theory, basically. That's, I, I think that's why the word is so, is so misused because you associate it so easily with the, the, replacing of, the replacement of God with something else. Right. Uh, which it can be, but not necessarily has to be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, fair enough. I'm loving this conversation, first of all, and I'm going to get to play. Uh, well, I have some fun questions for later, but if you have something, please, please go. Yeah, I, I guess just one more aspect on the, the question of morality and how that relates with Christianity or any religion, Abrahamic yeah. religion and being atheist, being agnostic. But Plato brings this up and the idea of the moral lie is that, you know, he believed that society had to have some kind of noble lie, this fictitious 
story that people believed in in order to uphold the fabric of society. And maybe that was the case back then, but uh, I, I really do think Nietzsche is, is correct in the sense that the this idea of believing things that are not provable and don't make sense, it's only becoming more popular because it, it seems like human beings are maybe two steps forward, one step back, but human beings are becoming more logical. We, we are improving somewhat over time. Um, but the idea that you can just derive your morality from Yahweh is... Um, how ironic for for Christians to say that that they can claim moral superiority because they believe in Yahweh. Uh, Yahweh demands that eight day old babies get the tip of their dips chopped off. Uh, Yahweh demanded that Abraham proved his faith by being willing to kill his own son to show his faith for God. Uh, Yahweh demanded animal sacrifices. Yahweh killed uh, the firstborn son of all of the Egyptians in order to free his people. And uh, if you, you know, if you were to do that in war today, even just say, I'm going to kill the firstborn son of every family at this country I'm at war with, we would be like, that is horrible. But somehow it's excusable. Let me try to play the, um, not the devil's advocate, but God's advocate, uh, like a Christian's advocate. Uh, They they would say then that, that, yeah, that stuff is from the Old Testament and the Christianity is really about the New Testament. But I like I have problems with the morality depicted in that thing too. The first of all, the witnesses' stories don't really add up, and uh, also a thing like turning the other cheek. I don't think that's entirely moral to do in, in all situations. And also the the notion that you should treat people the way you would like to be treated. Uh, I don't really believe that either. You should treat people like they want to be treated. Like if I'm a sadomasochist or, or, you know, it all depends on what I want. And most likely other people do not want the same things I do. So uh, I'm probably better off treating other people the way they want to be treated than the way I want to be treated. That's, Maybe. that's funny that you, uh, you brought up uh, the turn the other teach issue because I actually had that written in my notes is, is something I, I view as problematic in Christianity as well. And yeah, Christians will, that is probably the most common form of rebuttal or hope uh, that they're going to use is they're, they're going to accuse all of the horrible genocidal racist by definition thing. And I'm not the kind of person to try out the word racist, but you know, all, all of these pretty bad things in the old Testament, which God does, and they say that the New Testament is the New Covenant. But here's the thing is the New Testament affirms the Old Testament as legitimate. You're still giving all those things legitimacy. And in your worldview, it's still the same God that you're worshiping. So I totally agree with you there. Yeah. Um, what about the Petersonian view that these are stories that you can derive something from and that there's uh, a lot of value in it? And obviously so, because the, the book itself has arrived for so many centuries. And we can find stories in any other uh, mythology as well. And I, 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 frankly, I don't find the stories of the Old Testament compelling at all. They're not interesting to me either because they're not my ancestors. And uh, you think about the way we have historically had our, our mythologies and our religions and, and viewpoints. Everybody had their own gods. Uh, of course, today, the word pagan is is very derogatory and when you think pagan, you think animal sacrifices, child sacrifices, people killing each other, raping each other, you know, having crazy orgies and doing sacrifices to Moloch, all this stuff. But the reality is that that is not 
I mean, it, at least I can speak for for my ancestors and your European too, so your your ancestors. It, it is a very fascinating history to look at and, and mythology to look at because, um, you know, I, for example, I, I follow this guy. His name is Jackson Popper. He calls himself the Old Norse Specialist. And he he did uh, translations of, they're called the Eddas. The Eddas are the oldest documents we have about, you've heard of the Eddas, yeah. About, yeah, yeah uh, of course. Yeah. yeah, so we translated these these North mythology uh, uh, series into English. Uh, he, he taught at several colleges about this. He's a really legit, credited guy. And uh, just debunks all of these beliefs that Christians have about pagans. So... Sure, you know, the Petersonian belief that uh, you can at least derive morality from these stories. I, I guess technically you could. However, I, uh, A, the stories are not interesting to me, and B, I think it's a way of uh, also kind of excusing some of these bad, horrible things that are seen in the Old Testament. Um, I, I think it's the idea of chopping the tip of the penis off of an ideal baby is horrible and should be denounced. And maybe you can find some kind of way to make a moral message out of that. But I believe that's very wrong and that should be denounced. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say that to play the devil's advocate there, it's, I would say that it's better than chopping the entire penis off, which is what they're trying to push on us now. But uh, uh, as I yeah, said, that's true. statism is a religion too. What comes to mind is that I do believe that the, that history is written by the winners, which means if you read that correctly, that means that history is probably written by some bad guy. Maybe not the bad guys, but, but pretty bad guys, you know, at war with other bad guys, because a war is always between a bunch of bad guys. So when, when Christianity took over Northern Europe, I think a lot of force and violence was used to yeah. to convert people, of course, and the crusades and everything. Then again, I think like Protestantism and later secularism was probably forced on people too. And that that stuff was probably also written by the winners. And maybe the people in the monasteries of Central Europe and stuff, maybe they were the good guys there, or at least the, the less bad guys. But I think when you really understand what history is written by the winners m- implies, that the guy with the biggest gun won, uh, you start to see history in a different light. You absolutely will. And here's the thing. I don't think historically every time somebody won some kind of war or something, they were they were necessarily bad. I, I do think that is the case with many modern wars and, and situations. But um, the conversion of the West moving from paganism to Christianity was for sure violent. Uh, I believe Iceland was the last country to outlaw paganism. That's very sad, I think, because even if these beliefs are not true, which I, I mean, I don't think they are. I, I don't. But but it, it, it's still a tradition. It's still a culture. It's still a custom that these people had. And they had to, by the threat of violence, totally forget all of their their beliefs and what they hold sacred for somebody else's God. And this is what's written in, in the Old Testament is uh, Yahweh is known as the jealous God. One of the goals of the Old Testament is to eradicate quote, idol worship. So people having their own cultures, traditions, customs, gods, that is deemed as idol worship. And that had to be eradicated, which Christianity accomplished. And even, you know, again, I, I, I'm not a pagan, but I do believe that, uh, again, going back to this idea of Plato's noble lie, society at large having some kind of belief strongly influences them. And uh, you look at 
Norse paganism and, uh, you know, beliefs of the Germanic tribes and all that. And they, they were very, they were pretty hard for it. You know, they, they, you look at their graves today, we'll find Viking graves in Sweden. They have swords and, and they have weaponry literally buried with them to the grave. They took virtue seriously. They took family seriously. They were willing to fight for these worldly things, which is what Christianity preaches against. And now you look at Europe and, and the West largely, and we're frankly a pretty weak culture, in my opinion. And I, I think that's a bad thing. The parts of Sweden I'm in right now, uh, you, you hear about that every other year, like that some farmer found a bronze shield or something in, uh, while plowing his land. Cool. So, so uh, every now and then they find remnants of uh, past times. Today's show is brought to you by our sponsors. First up, Orange Pill App. Stack friends who stack sats, meet like-minded Bitcoiners near you, and help speed up hyper-Bitcoinization with Orange Pill App. Bitcoin isn't an online-only phenomenon, and Orange Pill App helps facilitate the social layer, connecting Bitcoiners in their local area. It maintains your privacy through the whole process, and since you have to pay to access the app, you know that everyone there cares about Bitcoin and is high signal. A great new feature is events. You can create events and meetups right from the Orange Pill app and help build your local community while maintaining the Bitcoin-only signal. Orange Pill app is available on iOS and Android. Download now. Next up, Wasabi Wallet, an open-source, non-custodial desktop wallet that is trustless, easy to use, and affordable. It has CoinJoin built in to facilitate your privacy. Every Bitcoin transaction leaves a clear footprint, but with Wasabi, you can make sure that others can't track your steps and threaten your sovereignty. Just send your coins to Asabi Wallet, wait, and your coins will be private on the other end. It's open source, trustless by design, and non-custodial. You have full control over your keys. Check it out now at wasabiwallet.io. Luke, you're, you're the expert on Norse mythology. I can see you really want to deep dive into this conversation. I guess you, you know more about that than I do. Thanks, Knut. Yeah, uh, you've been saying some really cool things, Andrew. Uh, and I'll give you some background on me. I'll actually just start with, I think we have a, a very similar overall background. I was, I was raised Christian. Uh, I've been baptized three times, uh, twice by choice. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I've, I've gone away from that uh, now quite a long time ago, actually in my relatively short life. But I went through a bit of a, a rabbit hole with Germanic mythology. I was looking for an alternative to Christianity. And specifically, I was looking for, well, you you kind of said it yourself, uh, something that would have been what my ancestors would have believed. So I'm mostly English. Uh, I'm from Canada originally, and therefore kind of a bit of a mutt, but mostly English. And even though uh, the English weren't exactly the same as the Norse, they they were pretty darn similar. And so I, I think you probably know that the the Norse sources are the best for uh, Germanic best preserved. And so, yeah, I, I really went down the rabbit hole on, on that one. And I, I also, which Knut touched upon, was was down the Jordan Peterson rabbit hole. And the parts where I'm going to slightly play devil's advocate, but but that's not the part I want to focus on right now. I did find a lot of value in, in an archetypal analysis of specifically the the Genesis stories that Jordan Peterson did. In the sense that it it wasn't necessarily uh, about the literal interpretation of those parts, and and also I I think definitely have to say probably all the worst parts uh, about worst 
of Old Testament uh, are are from some of the, the later books, Genesis being kind of more of a, a mythological history, really. So I, I was inspired by that. And uh, I, I had a, but then, so I, I started to do a podcast on uh, the Poetic Edda and the Finnish Kalevala that did that same thing, the the Jordan Peterson archetypal analysis of those stories, basically. That's great. Yeah, it sounds good. So so uh, I'm semi-boxing myself here, but it's called the Northern Myths Podcast. I'm not doing it anymore. I'm doing this one instead because I found Bitcoin and uh, that's been more important to me, uh, among other things. But uh, yeah, so I, I've in, I've interviewed Jackson Crawford twice on that show. Uh, oh, nice! That's that's awesome. Yeah, and I know, and and I I completely am I'm with you on basically that that there is so much there in Norse Finnic specifically those mythologies and stories. Love it. But the general point, and I'm coming to a question. I promise. The general point being that you can kind of find it in in any sort of mythology, any set of stories, really. So the question I'm going to pose, basically, with, with all that said, is do you see any positives from your Christian upbringing that but despite going away from the belief itself, the core principles of uh, accepting Christ, all that, do you see any positives in the way the culture is structured from being Christian? That's a really good question, and I'm very happy you asked that. And I, again, I, I definitely want to check out your old channel because uh, that sounds like really something I would be interested in. I, I did want to mention on this podcast that this is probably an offensive podcast for, for Christians to listen to. It's probably, if there is a Christian listening to this, which I would imagine there is, because uh, I've had several people want to bring me on a podcast and talk about my beliefs and, and all this, my changing beliefs, but... Um, you know, I I do definitely still hold moral beliefs with Christian would as well. So j- just because just because I'm not a Christian, that doesn't mean that I think it's okay to murder people or rape people. Those are very basic things. But that all I also am against abortion. I, I have a very pro life mentality. I want to maximize life, healthy life, fighting for life. So I will respect people who have differing beliefs that I do. And a lot of people do gain a lot of value out of believing in God or the Abrahamic God. They feel connected with that. They feel connected with with people around them and, and the earth around them. And and uh, there are a lot of really good Christians. And it, it, it's almost, I, I've declined a lot of podcast invitations except for this one, basically, because it's a tough thing for me because I don't want people to be so offended and think I'm just this hubristic guy that is now bashing Christianity and disrespecting people. And, you know, I love a lot of, a lot of Christians. Um, so yeah, to answer your question, I mean, I, I, I definitely still hold a lot of moral beliefs that Christians would do. And, and, uh, even the idea of not, you know, sex before marriage. Like, I, I think that is it. like, I have a daughter, right? I, I don't want my daughter to be walking around and basically being a whore, right? Like I, I want, I, and I, I don't think you need to be a Christian to even believe in the idea of a bond between couples and marriage be, being about having a family and a stable structure for children and all these things. There are a lot of parallels that I have with Christians. I would say a lot of Christians, unfortunately, there are a lot of Christians that, that are all about love is love and accept people for who they are and all this bullshit. Excuse me, but... uh utter bullshit, you know, but a lot of Christians are against this idea of, of 
transgenderism and the idea that nature is wrong and, and you are right and you need to cut your penis off or cut your breasts off and call yourself a different gender. And um, I, I think that's absolutely just horrible and psychologically damaging for anybody that's doing that to themselves. And I think that's why a lot of people are, you know, I, I know I mentioned on this podcast that that religion is becoming less popular, but maybe I'm not true there because I have noticed people converting to Christianity because they see this clan world that we're in. They see a 13-year-old getting on puberty blockers and being told that, you know, they can be a woman when they're a man and all this crazy stuff. They see women, you know, shouting in the streets, chanting for abortion and saying it's not a human being. It's just a clump of cells. And uh, they see these things and they think that the only solution is Christianity. And uh, I, I just don't think that's the case. I don't think we need to believe in things that just at, do not make sense to me. I think we can still have a moral compass without Christianity, but I, I do appreciate the morality of Christians in, in many ways. Now, just a, I'm kind of a rant here, but I'll, I'll end my rant on this. I also think that Christians, in their perspective, they believe it's moral because they want to save you. That's why they want to convert you, right? Because they're, they're afraid of what's going to happen if you don't believe in their God and you die, right? They, they, they care about you, but in kind of a twisted way. And I, I feel for them. And I used to have the same perspective, but, uh, likewise that there are a lot of good moral virtues in Christianity. There, there are many that are not good. And the idea of you're going to hell because you don't read the same book that I do, I think is childish and wrong. So I hope that answers your questions. Yeah, I, I'd like to clarify a thing or two, too, so so we don't, uh, like, this is not an episode that is only out there to be offensive. I'm genuinely interested in Howard's uh, case, and I think the move is brave. And I, I would like to say to all my Christian friends that I respect a lot of uh, of Christians, and some of my best friends are, are believers. Those that are, they have, they don't have this pushy attitude that you find in some Christians that they want to force their beliefs upon you, but they're more open to ideas. And I think that's the gist of the argument here, or like the, that's what you like in other people, regardless of what belief system or philosophy or whatever they choose to identify with. Speaking of the, you know, Genesis and the first stories and how then God slowly turns into an asshole in the, the, um, Old Testament, I've always viewed Christianity as this mishmash of all the other beliefs that it seems like it's a, a sort of best of this crazy ideas from here and there, wherever the crusades went, they took something from this and from that other religion. Uh, and there's a, a lot of similarities in Christianity between other belief systems. So it's sort of like they made stories that were already there and they sort of molded them into something that would fit their own narrative so they could take over. And yeah, another point I wanted to make before, because I sort of lost that point, but the other point I wanted to make about the uh, total abandonment of really good moral virtues that maybe came with Christianity nowadays, I see this often in humanity as a pendulum effect. So, so we do something extreme to one side and then realize that that thing was bad, and then we do the complete opposite in the other direction. Uh, but that is also bad. And I see this phenomenon in Bitcoiners as well. Like many Bitcoiners are conspiracy theorists just because they, they've realized that what the government says is a lie. They immediately turn 
to the most popular conspiracy theory uh, uh, on that topic and start to believe in that without doing the research themselves. So, so I think there's a, a big trap to fall down in there somewhere. And I, I think this pendulum effect of humanity, you can see it with the Bitcoin, not Bitcoin, but the, the carnivory you see in Bitcoiners and others like Jordan Peterson. That is sort of an answer to veganism, right? So, hey, so you're, you're, take, you're talking to a carnivore right now, right? Yeah, so yeah, but, but, but okay, I'm trying not to offend you, but it, but it is <laughs> pretty fine. stupid to go from one extreme to the other. <laughs> like, <laughs> fair. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I, I actually remember talking about that with you and Rita too. Is it just interesting to hear your, yeah, yeah. your perspective but on that? The, but the, yeah, uh, the, the thing I remember about you about the conspiracy stuff is the cigarettes because you're, you're sort of like, you don't buy that tobacco is dangerous, or maybe you do, but I don't know to what extent. Let's delve into that as well, because I find that interesting. What, what, what research have you done on the topic? Oh, that's, that is a whole rabbit hole. The, the unfortunate thing about the tobacco topic is that there's no group that I can be behind or that can be behind me. It's, it's probably one of the most controversial, if not the most controversial sides to put yourself on in, in regards to health. At least there are a lot of carnivores out there and even a lot of vegans out there. And, you know, but there is a growing army of tobacco enthusiasts on uh, Bitcoin Twitter. Yeah. So first of all, I'm, I'm not ruling out the possibility that I'm wrong. I don't want to act like I am some kind of uh, guru who knows everything. But um, I do want to question all things. I mean, Nietzsche said, uh, said faith is uh, not wanting to know what is true. So I want to know what's true. I want to question things around me. As far as how this relates with tobacco, now there are there are a few things. Let me just pull something up here. <laughs> yeah, this is turning to our, our most provocative episode yet, uh, Luke, the, because of our attempt <laughs> at not making it provocative. I think. Yeah, I'm sorry, guys. I I really don't intend to be this way, but it's just born this way. <laughs> no, it's no, 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 so much I, fun. I, I'll say the most provocative thing so that you don't have to. Oh, thank you so much. No, That's really no, considerate of you. Yeah. Female voting rights is the worst idea humanity had since since voting rights. Is that even yeah. provocative <laughs> at this point? Or I don't know if that's even controversial at this point. We found our opening <laughs> clip. It's Yeah. All right. All so right. it's back here. Right. I am 10 pages away from being done with a book that I actually shared on Twitter. Uh, it's called Why Smoking is Good for You. And it's written by a medical doctor. So Dr. William something, can maybe you can put it in the show notes if, if anybody's interested. I it, find it to be a very interesting book. It was written in the 80s. The anti-smoking campaign really began in, in the early 70s. But uh, basically, this book talks about, from this doctor's perspective, and he cites a lot of other medical authority as well. Yes, it, you know, an appeal to authority argument is important sometimes, I will say. So it's, it's at least interesting to consider, right? Um, because the idea is that, uh, you know, you, you would think that in the seventies, when people discovered that smoking causes cancer and all these things, that all of the medical authority believed that, but there was a lot of medical authority, which did not. The common trend I'm, I'm seeing with this book is that, uh, there are a lot of parallels between the COVID mask jab crowd and the anti-smoking crowd. The anti-smoking campaign was, at least my opinion, the origin of controlling other people because of health medical choices they made on their own. 
it, it, it's also similar to the the whole COVID idea because questioning the science, right? The the uh, anti smoking campaign. You can look at a lot of these studies that they cite, and uh, they're very questionable. But uh, the idea of trust the science. This was very popular among them as well. Now, as far as the lung cancer idea, that that uh, belief system of smoking causes lung cancer originally came out of, uh, I believe it was the Royal Royal College of London. And the study that they conducted, uh, they took a bunch of rats and they exposed them to cigarette smoke. However, the cigarette smoke they exposed them to was about e- equal to about 100,000 cigarettes burning simultaneously in a very closed off environment. So, you know, that's that's a huge difference from one cigarette, right? Another, I guess, data point on the idea of smoking and lung cancer is uh, Japan and Greece. So Japan and Greece have the highest smoking rates in the entire world and uh, some of the lowest lung cancer rates in the entire world. So what's up with that? That's that's pretty odd, right? Smoking also is linked to higher testosterone. So if you want a society full of weak and docile people, then okay, would make sense that if this thing raises testosterone, they wouldn't want people consuming it. I have a friend who's a nutritionist, been a nutritionist for 12 years. He also, he's not as public as I am, but he also firmly believes smoking is is uh, not bad for you and actually has health benefits. And he sent me this study showing that tobacco is, is correlated with uh, about 15% higher testosterone levels. So. Anyways, go ahead. The interesting thing here, I think, is I don't buy that any of these things are deliberately there to de-emasculate people. I I think smoking is one thing that maybe I I don't know about the testosterone level thing there, but if it's true, then it's it's sort of the same thing as the uh, uh, the food pyramid that is basically the opposite of what it should be. It should be turned upside down, and you're fine. Because it has like all the carbs, but like that should be your, the, your main food and then meat on top, very little of that, please. So there's carb and sugar in the base. And so if you turn it around, it becomes more, much more healthy. And maybe that has made us like more docile sheep as well. And uh, all of these things together. The, the thing I have so uh, such a hard time believing is that this is some grand scheme or plan from some evil villain in a lair somewhere stroking a cat or petting a cat. But because I I think it's the other way around that these things happen. A study shows something, society changes because media says this and that. And in the long run, that turns us into docile sheep that start voting for these, you know, more and more socialistic authoritarian uh, types. So I, I think we got the causality wrong, maybe. Maybe we did it all to ourselves and there's no big evil mastermind. Maybe or a lot of us are wired to just be those, those little sheep in the, in the end. Do you see where I'm getting at? Yeah, I, I do. It's kind of like the reverse. Well, I, I can say, I don't know exactly what your guys' opinion is on COVID, but I would imagine that we have a fairly similar idea, which is that you shouldn't force people to have injection in their bodies. Whether you agree with it or not, the idea of forcing somebody to inject something in their body is totally wrong yeah. and nuts. The idea I, of shutting somebody's business down is horrible. All, all these things that happened during COVID are pretty bad. And I don't think that's solely because people wanted it, right? I think these are laws right. that were passed worldwide, which severely limited people's liberties. I can see you want to respond to that. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'd say on your previous point that if a ban on smoking is what in the long run caused our politicians to think that lockdowns and masks uh, 
mandates were a good idea, then I, I believe that that kind of authority and that, those kinds of policies are much more dangerous than smoking could ever dream of being. Uh, so it's a great point. Because I'm a consensualist. I believe in absolute property rights. I, I believe that no one, you know, my body, my choice, no one should force me to take an injection. And if you want to uh, know my views on abortion, I suggest you read uh, Rothbard's The Ethics of Liberty which is very clear on uh, who has the authority to decide for anyone else on, on those matters. <laughs> I, I'd be interested uh, on that. I, I have I have a response to play devil's advocate on the other side, and, and this is exactly what I'm talking about in regards to there being a lot of parallels between the anti-smoking campaign and COVID campaign. One should say, okay, yes, you're a consensualist. However, by you not getting the COVID vaccine, you are infringing upon my liberty because you're endangering me. You could give me COVID. Oh, well, and then well, the same thing with smoking, right? The same yeah. thing with smoking is, well, you know, I'm a consensualist. However, when you smoke around me, you're exposing me to secondhand smoke and I should die from that. Which, by the way, the studies on that are also a bunch of BS, in my opinion. Well, it all boils down to property rights. Uh, I decide if you can smoke or not on my property and then problem solved. See, that, that's what makes the most sense. But unfortunately, the government is is doing, again, the same thing they did with COVID is they mandate businesses. You cannot have smoking here. It's quite a shame. Also, on a side note, guess what year that uh, tobacco ad- advertisement was banned in uh, the United States? Go ahead and take a desk, please. The I, advertisement I of tobacco yeah, was banned. Just out of thin air, 1971, perhaps? Yes. <laughs> 1971. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So, oh, I don't. I don't know where I got that from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a mystery, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nineteen seventy-one. Yeah, who yeah. knows? Something. Yeah. yeah, you know. I mean, it's it's a it's a tough topic because if I'm wrong, then I'm I'm basically advocating for something that kills people, which is you know that's pretty intense. Well, but, uh, I I'm no, somebody, not. I'm not a, some kind of professional. I'm just a guy asking questions. Maybe I'm trying to cope. And I'm trying to just justify my enthusiasm for tobacco. Okay, that's possible. But I'm simply a guy asking questions. All I'm saying is, guys, does the government really care about our health so much? You know, why why are they so fervent about tobacco? Tobacco is so bad for you, but they're okay with McDonald's. They're okay with Coca-Cola. They're okay with this COVID vaccine. They're okay with all that. Smoking, that's what the government really cares about. They don't, they care about you not getting lung cancer. How the hell does that make any sense? Devil's advocate. It makes yeah. sense because, at least in Europe, most of the uh, healthcare systems are collectively paid, as they as they love to call it. Uh, you know, the tax funded, taxpayer funded. And when when you have collective health insurance, the government is forced to pay for everyone's treatment everywhere. And lung cancer treatment is very costly. So someone having to pay the bills for for healthcare is probably going to be against smoking because it causes diseases that are long and cost a lot of money. If you have what's it called, KOL, it's called in, in, in Swedish. I don't know what the English word is. When you, when you have this voice, it's, you know, serial smoker voice. The, yeah, I know. Yeah, they have, they have to get a lot of treatment, an expensive one at that. So, so I can see how they would like to ban something that costs them a lot of money. And uh, I think, you know, people, Dying long and slow, painful deaths do cost the, the government a lot of money. So that's that's the devil's advocate thing there. 
but the solution is right there. You know, ban the government, remove them and make people pay for their own goddamn health insurance. And I don't mean by a government-funded Pfizer cartels style, everything is super expensive as in the US and with the money printer in the background. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, you know, a sound money standard healthcare system that everyone gets to choose whatever healthcare system they want. And they have to take responsibility for their own health and thereby you solve the problem. That's really the crux of the issue is yes, state personal responsibility. And if you're going to say, okay, well, you know, we should outlaw smoking because I might have to pay for people who get lung cancer or I think what you were talking about was emphysema, by the way. Then let's just take that to the maximum that we should, you know, we should outlaw junk food. We should outlaw, you know, anything else that makes people unhealthy. Right. So and um in regards to the idea that <clears throat> smoking is is uh, unhealthy, I mean, it, it is pretty ironic because if you look at how people looked when smoking was very popular, I mean, everyone smoked 60 years ago, everyone smoked. People looked healthier. The obesity rate was, was far lower. Smoking does increase your metabolism. Even somebody that's against smoking will even admit that, that it increases your metabolism. Um, so smoking helps prevent against obesity. Yeah. Um, uh, a lot of people, when they quit smoking, they get fat. Like, uh, they get fat. Right. And, 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 and then again, devil's yep. advocates, people yep. live longer now. The, the median age of dying has increased in almost every country. So, so like we might look like we're more unhealthy, but it's not, it's not entirely true on a, on a collectivist, uh, from a collectivist viewpoint, at least. You, yes, you should say that. The, the, I also believe, at least in the United States, uh, which is probably one of the most unhealthy countries on the planet, if not the most, uh, the average life expectancy is decreasing as well. So is it, there's is that. It is, is it, it is. Yeah, it is. And, no. You know, I mean, the, the thing is, human beings have been smoking tobacco for literally yeah. thousands of years. I have a grandma. My grandma's like 93. She's been smoking a pack of Marlboros a day her entire life since she was 16. You know, I mean, we're yeah, all yeah. going to die. So I, I don't know. The, the reality is uh, that you can find a study for any belief that you want to have. I, I, saw, I saw a statistic once that one in every four smokers die from something smoke related. And there's a very positive way of viewing that. Like one in four, I mean, it's not that high of a risk. But <laughs> it's also a very easy scapegoat. Too. I mean, do yeah. they absolutely know 100% that, that no, no, this disease like is, is dying. not at all? Yeah, no. but it's a very easy scapegoat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like the statistic have. for dying of COVID when they actually died with COVID. Exactly. You, but this is the thing with humans. We, we, we love drawing lines between things that this is this and this, that is that. I think Bitcoin yeah. sort of turned that around a lot as well. Oh, back back to Christianity and Bitcoin. Let's drop the cigarettes and the nicotine sure, for a sure. while. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, we're quitting smoking right now. Yeah, yeah, let's quit smoking. Yeah, a lot of Bitcoiners see Satoshi as this messianic figure that did the most altruistic thing anyone can ever do, which is like leave when he could have been like the richest man in the world. Instead, he chose to just do the altruistic thing and disappear. And I dislike this view because it sounds to me like you're trying to reinvent the wheel, the wheel in this case being a Christianity, because we, in my view, we do not know what happened to, uh, to Satoshi. Maybe not even Satoshi knows what happened because he might have been hit by a bus, just, you know, the day after dropping that email. 
So we cannot know. If, if we don't know, we should accept that we don't know. And I think that this is the thing I think people have such a hard time doing, accepting that they do not know something. And I think this is like my, my pet theory here is that uh, the core of all of humanity's problems stem from our wish for there to be a free lunch. We want there to be a free lunch so badly so that we cling on to any theory that promises us some type of free lunch. And I would categorize Satoshi as the, the second coming of Christ as one of those free lunch theories. Thoughts? I think it's a really interesting point. Yeah, people, there, there is some kind of reverence to Satoshi, and that is true. And, and human beings do not like the idea of not knowing something. We don't like the idea of not having certainty about something because that makes us feel safe, right? So that's why we, we want to feel like we know what happens when you die. And I totally agree. Now, uh, it is interesting because Satoshi does have almost many godlike qualities, right? He, he has, he has, I don't know, I don't know if godlike is the right way to put it, but he, he has virtuous qualities, right? I mean, how, yeah. how much Bitcoin does Satoshi have approximately about a million coins? Give or take. I mean, that's that's what we estimate to be in in the wallets that he owned, and they haven't been spent once, one time. I mean, I don't know how much a million no, but, Bitcoin. But he might be dead. He might he might be an asshole and just sure. dead. He, yeah. he might be an asshole and he's <laughs> gotten hit by a bus. That's true. Or maybe he's Fred Wright. No, I'm just kidding. There's no way he's Fred Wright. Oh, uh, that's a good one. <laughs> but if if he's alive, let's just say he's alive, right? What a major virtuous sacrifice to not spend one Bitcoin, to not any of this wealth into fruition, not to use any of it, right? For the betterment of all all Bitcoiners, that is a virtuous thing to do. Well, if you believe that, you're assuming his motives. He might just be scared. If I start spending these, they will hunt me down and kill me. So that might be his reason, his entire reason. It might not be this altruistic thing. It might not be. But but the the creation of Bitcoin is, I, I would just say as as almost like a mythological archetypal yeah, yeah. Yeah, figure. But, but, he, he does I think have, that, yeah. Yes, but this is sort of the core at the core of my question because like, is this view of Bitcoin's immac- immaculate conception? Because like I love the story too. I think it's a beautiful story, and it's it's kind of nice that Bitcoin has this mythology surrounding it, but. In the long run, is that a beneficial thing to Bitcoin and Bitcoiners, or is it just the red herring that might be dangerous in the same way that, you know, the myth of Jesus or, or, or anything else? Uh, How would it be dangerous? Because I, I, w- when there's a, a, a cult around a personality or a cult around a, a figure of authority in any way, shape or form, they tend to put too much value to that person's words. So like Satoshi, whatever Satoshi wrote in his emails or in the white paper or whatever might be regarded as like the word of the Messiah. So we can't do anything here. Uh, and that might, you know, stop us from fixing a critical bug or, or something. Just from a philosophical perspective, is, is it a good thing that Bitcoin has this mytholo- mythological aspect or aura around it or not? Yeah, can I make a, a quick point here? Um, in in the difference, I think about the, the current situation and how mythologies theoretically develop. This is a, another one of the rabbit holes that I'm prone to here. I am a believer 
that Christianity, as well as virtually all mythologies, came from real events and were real ways to make sense of the world at the time. They were then transmitted orally for a very long time. The key details were remembered in so-called archetypal narrative, and the actual specifics of what happened were lost. Then they were written down again and again and again, translated, et cetera, et cetera. And the messages are n- not exactly precise anymore. So how do you, how, how, what do you base that they were actually came from real things and not just from a uh, psychopathic leader who wanted to push a narrative? Yeah, easy, easy. So, so across civilizations, there is evidence of flood myths. And, and now this is starting to become properly accepted that there Tsunamis. was... Uh, no, no, <laughs> that, that there was a comet impact about 1,800 oh, yeah. years ago, which destroyed the ice sheets that covered North America and Europe. I'm getting that flipped. There was one that created a deep ice age, but resulted in a lot of flooding from those ice sheets. Yes, that's it. Then uh, a second round 11,600 years ago that melted the ice sheets and raised uh, sea levels and caused massive flooding throughout most of the developed world at the time. Okay, so so there is real mythological basis for the idea that there was some kind of life civilization pre-flood. And then flood happens, lots of civilization gets destroyed, and only a small remnant comes afterwards. That is across dozens of civilizations. I would direct listeners to the combination of fingerprints of the gods, magicians of the gods, and America Before, all by Graham Hancock. The the main point, though, is that the stories themselves reflect things that would have been functionally useful, like the prohibition on pork for both Islam, Judaism, yeah, probably comes from that it was not good to eat uncooked pork in the desert. No, no, no. Uh, of course not. They, uh, what do they call it? Tri- trichinosis, I believe. Trichinosis, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, totally. So, so my point is the things come from something and then they get distilled over time into these archetypal narratives. And what we're doing in Bitcoin, I think, is retconning satoshi into a figure that has not had the i'll use the term proof of work to to actually be a mythological figure it's like we're saying you're a mythological figure when that's never how it would have happened exactly the the concept of a god would have never been a god originally really it would have been some kind of natural phenomenon that got personification or it was a heroic figure that eventually rose to the status of god even even so, the christian like, god. like satoshi <laughs> right but but that's happened in, yep. in 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 such a short time frame and it's more like we're just saying it it's it not like it's actually makes it true i mean people believe in mormonism that happened pretty quack, quick too uh, by a, a, an obvious quack it's so, still the same god though it's still the same god if you go by lineage as yahweh and and on that on that yah yahweh was not necessarily always a monotheistic god there's plenty of evidence that uh, yahweh was one of many gods in the canaanite pantheon there was also baal there was uh, th- there were plenty of other other or baal if you use that pronunciation yeah, yeah. 
mm-hmm. and there is some evidence that when the Jewish people were forcibly relocated to Babylon about 700 BC, I think I might be getting the date a little wrong. They were influenced by, at the time, Zoroastrianism, which is actually the first monotheistic religion. And they got all of the trappings of that you should only have one God. And then they Mm -hmm. basically retconned the Old Testament into that you should only have one God. There's evidence for that. I would have to... Do some digging via resources. It's been a while since I went down the rabbit hole on that one. Evidence as in strong evidence or evidence as in some evidence? Circumstantial, yeah. There was no real reason for them to shift monotheistic and that there was a long period of influence by Babylon, which which had a monotheistic religion. This poses the question, is Christianity monotheistic though? Like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost? That's very debatable. Yeah, Very debatable. Uh, and there are saints and stuff. Judaism <laughs> certainly is, though. Judaism certainly is. Yeah, and that Judaism was- is, but and that's funny because uh, Muslims seem to believe their book very much and hold it in, in very high regard, whereas Jews uh, seem to not believe the Old Testament at all. <laughs> well, the funny thing about that is there's more documentary evidence. But yeah, y- y- there is a more direct line between Islam in when it was originally founded and the current day. We we. Pretty yeah, much yeah. know exactly what happened from when it was founded yeah. to now. Yeah, yeah. Of course, because it happened more recently. And it, well, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. I, and, and that's why we know exactly what happened with Mormonism as well. And, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, the jo- Joseph Smith, he, yeah, that yeah. was a great documentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was. Yeah. They've got okay, great that's, stuff. That's what you referred to, of course. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Went over my head again, Luke. But yeah, yeah. Uh, South Park episodes are documentaries, all of them, basically. <laughs> yeah. They, they've got hilarious stuff on Scientology, too. <laughs> and then they, they show, like, they depict the Scientology belief. And then yes. on the bottom, it says, this is what Scientologists actually believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I get really offended no. by that. But But that's sort of... You know, so many Scientologists just disappeared after that episode because, like, it was written, sort of debunked there. And, you know, yeah. I, I yeah. encountered Scientologists in Malmö once in there in Sweden, and they had something they called Phaeton meters, which I found hilarious because you were, you were supposed to grab two handles with some wiring into a box, and there was a little meter that showed you how your feet on levels, like how many of these midichlorines or whatever they believe in were, were in your body. And like, because I studied electrical engineering, so I instantly knew how this device worked. You know, it's using my body to, to send a current through, you know, my body and basically me- measuring the resistance or whatever, showing it in an analog scale and pretending it was something it wasn't. So I found the whole thing so hilarious. Like, wh- imagine the, the, you know, hierarchy of schemers necessary to, to make these sheeple believe that it's a good idea to go out in a street and claim that a device is something that it isn't and that people should believe in a space alien religion like fucking love it i love humanity sometimes yeah it's pretty hilarious pretty hilarious it it does show that there there are sometimes big grand schemes orchestrated in a you know very large way so that does happen yeah that is that is an argument for for the grand conspiracy thing 
All right. We've been going for one hour and 20 minutes. Uh, you, you have something else for us, Luke? I think, yeah, we could keep this going well, for a bit longer. Frankly, the, <laughs> anything that I would bring up now is going to be another whole rabbit hole. So <laughs> I, I think we could take this opportunity to wrap it on a good note, or we could dive down another whole thing. Uh, what do you prefer? What do you say, Andrew? Do you have a rabbit, a specific a subcabin of the rabbit hole that you'd like to um, explore with us? Well, yeah, we we covered a lot of related stuff in this podcast. I mean, we we talked about tobacco, even and and Oshi's, you know, mythology and many aspects of Christianity. I'm I'm just looking at my notes here that I have. Yeah, I mean, we talked about a lot of stuff. We talked about how, uh, you know, you didn't have morality outside of Christianity, how the word virtus came from the Romans, you know, evolved to the modern word virtue. Talked about some disagreements with the New Testament as far as, you know, turning the other cheek is not always the best thing to do and loving your enemy. Maybe you shouldn't always love your enemy. You know, I, I, I think I think this is probably a good place to stop in that case, but uh, I don't want this to be the end of the conversation. We, we have to have a, another time where we deep dive a little more into some uh, Norse stuff and maybe a little more on the Bitcoin angle. Uh, we'll have to do this again, but it's better to, to yeah. leave it at a good note than to try and uh, squeeze it a little bit longer. That's Yeah, man, I, I'd love that though. The Norse stuff is very interesting for sure. Yeah. I'd like to end this with two Monty Python quotes from two of the movies. <laughs> One is from Life of Brian, but I'm paraphrasing it to be about Satoshi. He's not the Messiah. He's a very naughty boy. Like that's that's the quote. And the other one is from the ending of mean, the meaning of life. I, I'd like to say this to anyone who's listened, who's offended, who's not offended, who's a Christian, who's an atheist, who's whatever. And uh, we don't mean to offend anyone. Uh, so the meaning of life, uh, a fairly middle ground thing here is try to be nice to people, avoid eating fat, read a good book every now and then, get some walking in and try to live together in peace and harmony with people of all creeds and nations. Except the part about not eating fat, because I was go, just going to say that. Yeah, go ahead and eat fat. It's a good statement. Good <laughs> closing thought there. I like it. Yes. The show is also sponsored by BitcoinBook.shop, the Bitcoin-only bookstore by Consensus Network. Consensus specializes in translations of Bitcoin books and also publishes original titles in English and many other languages. Check out bitcoinbook.shop for all your Bitcoin book needs. Consensus is always looking for new contributors, whether you have a book you want to publish, you want to help translate books into your native language, or you have some other way you want to get involved. So if you want to help spread the Bitcoin message, reach out to Consensus Network by Twitter or email. Details are in the show notes. All right. Thank you very much for doing this, Andrew. And I hope yeah. to see you again soon. Are you going to any of the uh, European conferences? I, I would love to go to Balsic Honey Badger. I'm probably not this year because we're moving and I have a baby daughter born two months ago. So there's that. Uh, oh, congratulations. I'm, thank you. Thank you. I, I might or might, I might not go to Balsic Honey Badger, but I, I will be going to the Adopting Bitcoin conference in El Salvador this coming November. So I don't know if you guys are going to that. Probably not, but uh, okay. yeah, one one of these years I'll be there. <laughs> Guys, it was a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed this podcast. Really fun Likewise. bouncing these ideas around. So thanks a lot for having me on. Yes. Thank you. Uh, awesome, gents. Cheers. What did you think about that episode with Andrew Howard? 
We certainly covered some controversial topics, but I definitely enjoyed the conversation, and I think a lot of what we talked about is relevant to the Bitcoin community today. Let us know what you thought about the episode. You can send us a boostergram on Fountain, leave us a comment on YouTube, or get in touch on Noster or Twitter. You can support us on Geyser Fund, Patreon, or send sats directly to freedomatgetalby.com if you want to support the show. And if you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to like the episode and subscribe to the new channel. Our show sponsors are Wasabi Wallet, Orange Pill App, and BitcoinBook.shop. That's all for now. See you next time, and thanks for listening. Thank you.